Hello and welcome to American Riviera Bank's Regional Pulse. This is Michelle Martinich, Chief Financial Officer at the bank. Today we have Dennis Allen of Allen Construction with us. Allen Construction is a general contracting firm specializing in environmentally friendly, custom residential and commercial building. For the past 14 years, Dennis has served as a consultant on the County of Santa Barbara's Smart Build Santa Barbara Committee, a committee that encourages energy efficiency and sustainable practices in building projects within the county. He also serves as chair of the Bryn Graduate School Dean's Council at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he is heavily involved in efforts to infuse sustainability into graduate curriculum and campus buildings. Thanks for joining us, Dennis. Thank you, Michelle. It's wonderful to be here with you, and I look forward to a great conversation on a very timely issue. Also joining us is Joe Campanelli of Campanelli & Associates Corporation. Joe has been a member of the Santa Barbara Contractors Association since 1974. He received the California Energy Commission's Flex Your Power Award from Governor Schwarzenegger and was awarded the Builder of the Year Member's Choice Award for Best Santa Barbara Contractor in 2008. He's a founding member of the Santa Barbara Green Building Alliance and helped to create the Built Green Checklist for homeowners and the city. Joe's also a founding director here at American Riviera Bank. Welcome, Joe. Nice to be here again. So when we were talking before we got started, we um, were talking about obviously construction of homes and electric is a big discussion about what happens if we do go all electric and what that means to our homes, to our remodels, to our new construction. Do you want to share with us some of your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, well, it's very timely, especially for new construction, although most of the construction that takes place in the county of Santa Barbara is not new construction. Uh, most of it's remodel work because we have uh, an old established um, area of, of existing buildings, existing homes. Uh, so a lot of it is trying to bring these up into um, the sta states where they no longer are contributing to the climate change or greatly reduce contributing. The county has recently passed uh, ordinances uh, to ban new gas hookups on, I should say gas hookups on new construction, but uh, increasingly it's going to come into play for remodeling uh, buildings too. And at the same time, they passed a electric reach code. So this is to encourage people to move in that direction. So, you know, this is kind of new terrain for a lot of homeowners, but uh, there are some marvelous equipment available that are electric, uh, and we're seeing better equipment every, every month come out. Uh, heat pumps are a big part of this. Heat pumps for space heating and cooling. Um, they, rather than using a fossil fuel, they're basically just pulling either heating or cooling out of the ambient uh, climate outside and using it to heat and cool our homes. That sounds strange, but basically all the heat pump is doing is moving those temperature differences to use them uh, in our homes. We're all familiar with heat pumps, but we probably are not aware of this because all refrigerators are heat pumps. They're basically just moving heat around. And the efficiency of heat pumps are up to five times uh, greater than the most efficiency you can get out of using fossil fuels for the same uh, technology, the same, the same delivery. 
is installing something and replacing that, is that expensive? Um, the heat pumps are a little more pricey for certain kinds of the equipment, but you're saving dollars every single month. And uh, how expensive they are, in new construction, they're actually cheaper, uh, which is why the, the county had the wisdom to, to push for this being a, a part of uh, all new construction. For remodels, you often have to run new circuits, uh, 220-amp circuits, and so that adds a little bit to it. But with new construction, where you're not bringing in gas lines, you're not trenching and bringing in the pipe and all those things, so that's a saving right off the bat. And your electric panel is the same. It might be a little larger, but the, the cost difference there is incremental. So uh, for new construction, it's... Uh, it's a no-brainer, really. And we have uh, what are called magnetic induction cooktops. I've had one in my home for 12 years, and they're better than cooking with natural gas. It heats more consistently, right? It does. It uh, is more responsive than gas cooktops. It is much safer. Uh, you can have a pot of boiling water, take it off the burner. I shouldn't say burner, take it off the ring, and put your hand down. And it'll be warm, but you won't burn your hand. So from that point of view, it's safer in terms of burn. But it also is safer from you not having uh, combustion gases from the burning of the fossil fuel natural gas uh, enter your kitchen and your home. And increasing medical studies are showing that the, the impact of these combustion gases on our health are much more severe than we were led to believe even five years ago, uh, the, the incidence of as, asthma is much higher for children that are, live in homes that have natural gas appliances. And so, you know, that's a, a, a major health and safety issue as well. And, and they're, uh, they're just delightful to cook on. You know, it's, it's a real chore to clean gas ranges with all those little nooks and crannies and stuff. This is just a glass top surface so you just wipe it down with a sponge when you're done so cleanup is a, is a real blessing for those of us that cook and clean up in the kitchen so i love to hear that you cook and clean up in the kitchen that is a, a man after my own yeah. heart my husband does all the cooking but i do the cleaning and i appreciate a stove top i could just wipe off so that's just one of the new appliances there are also heat pump water heaters and those are newer on the scene but they're starting to gain traction in fact i just helped to woman friend of mine that whose husband just died and their water heater went out their gas water heater well she knew enough to ask me the question is can she do this and get this so she can get hot water again promptly in her house and so we got her in that direction there's basically two types of heat pump water heaters one that they call hybrids which use a condensing heat pump unit to create the hot water but they also have a backup electric coil so they're not quite as efficient with electrical use as the pure heat pump condenser one that you only get hot water from that system. So I get the health benefits about not having the gas in the environment, that that's unhealthy for us. But right now we're having a heat wave. And we have these energy alerts and we have to reduce our energy consumption. So how do we reconcile using more electricity in our homes in times like this? Well, you know, just consider most air conditioning just gets cranked up when it's a hot day like this. And we, we're mild here in Santa Barbara, but the rest of the country, 
whole cities are, they're, they're all, every house has an air conditioner in it, and they're sucking up tremendous amount of energy. And a lot of that's gas energy, where these heat pumps use less energy to produce it. And they're not that hard to do in a remodel. The hardest part is that there's an inch and a quarter line that's a, like a Freon line that goes from the heat pump in the wall to an outside condenser. But if you're yanking out an air conditioner that, that's in a heater that's obsolete, that's a perfect time to switch over. And, and they're cheaper than a, new, a, a whole new heating system is more than a heat pump might be. So, Joe, I'm sure you know this, uh, but there's a really easy solution to this uh, electrical question, and that is solar panels. Increasingly in California, especially in new construction, but even on many existing homes, we have photovoltaic panels and they produce electricity. Now, that will not help you if there's a, a brownout, blackout, because the whole grid goes down and Edison disconnects all those solar panels at, at the homes uh, for the safety of their workers so that nobody can, none of the workers can get shocked. But if you have a, a storage battery for your photovoltaics at home, then even if we have a brownout, say, for two weeks, which would be extreme, but say it's for four days, your solar panels can feed the battery every day and you will have electricity off of your battery and you can have a little battery that just runs your lights, your refrigerator, your computers, a few minimum draw appliances like that, or you can have an array of batteries and power your whole house that way. Tesla has a great battery pack. They've improved the battery system from the old days. I put one in after the paint a cave fire, but they were the old bulky batteries, and then where do you put them? You gotta maintain them, how do you get rid of them? Tesla's new ones mount on the side of your house. A friend of mine just showed me hers on her house, and it's like, they're off the grid if there's a brownout. Mm -hmm. They're covered. So the know? electric company will shut down your solar from their connection, so they won't be pulling it in, but you still have full access. Yeah. You're still connected to your energy If source. you have a battery. You have to have the battery for ba that Battery to backup. And solar's becoming more and more accessible, I feel like. It's yeah. been fun. I think they put it in all the high school parking lots this summer. And um, I think that's exciting. It, it does a lot in those situations. It creates some light in the parking lots. It creates some protection. And they're generating energy. At um, the DP back-to-school night, they said they expect it'll generate over 70% of the energy needs for the high school. Yeah. That's thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. That's the happening Santa Barbara Bowl just did just put in their solar array that yeah. backs up their system and they have huge electric panels. And it's a big, big savings by doing this. I think every school in the county has gotten some of this. I've seen them in every school I've walked or biked by these days. But uh, you know, one of the other pluses of putting these solar arrays in, in these big arrays is you get mostly they're over parking lots and you park in the shade. Yeah. So your car is using less electric. You don't get into it at the end of the day and turn on the air conditioning right away because the car is cool. So Dennis, you just said when you bike by. So before we were starting this podcast, you mentioned that transportation is one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases in Santa Barbara County. So it sounds like maybe you're doing your part with biking, but we were going to talk about that a little bit. Vehicular transportation is the biggest use of fossil fuels in our county. Buildings are the second. Uh, and I'm always interested in how you integrate these two for both your residential situation or for where you, you work. And um, 
I took the plunge, I guess it was 11, 12 years ago, of giving up my car. And so I walk or bike everywhere. I, I happen to live downtown now, about three blocks from where we're recording this. So that, make, that helps, but I have an electric bike and a regular road bike. And so I can get around that way. And it, it's great. I keep fit that way. This is a great community to bike in. Uh, not every community would be as easy as it is here. And the infrastructure for biking is getting better all the time. I was just out on the new uh, Las Positas infrastructure. It was that. fabulous. All the way out to UCSB. And, I took and it all the way out yeah, there. Now along Modoc, all the way out there. It, <laughs> yeah. So you can be completely protected and separated from the, the vehicular. So, you know, that's a great way. But, you know, the other thing that we haven't really given much attention to is how do you work closer to your home? I mean, one of the things that COVID has done for us has showed us that we could do a lot of work at home. And many companies are not bringing their workers back into offices. Things definitely changed with COVID. And I think it's moved us in a direction to allow us to be more sustainable and responsive to our impact on our climate and our environment. Before COVID, the bank had one employee that worked remote, and it was very rare that someone would would work from home for any extended period of time. Today, within my own team in finance, half the team works remote at least half the time. We have one employee that only comes in two days a week. We've been able to work completely remote if someone has a health issue and needs to stay home. This has had such a huge impact on our employees' health on our use of space, on our transportation. And in fact, what is happening is we're going to be able to consolidate two of our locations into one location. And that is because we're going to accommodate remote working, shared workspaces. It's gonna be a more central location, which I think will allow more employees to bike. I personally will be less than a mile from my home. I am so excited to maybe not get in my car for days at a time. This is an exciting opportunity, and I think there's a lot of great things we're going to come out of that for the bank and for others. So that, that's been a real plus, but we need to build on that. And if, if you do happen to come, have to come into work because you're uh, a teacher or fireman, uh, uh, you know, then, then it, how do you manage to cut down on the use of a vehicle? I mean, as we get into electric vehicles, that'll start making a difference. So for cars, that's coming. You know, California has just had the wisdom to say, you know, every car sold in this state by 2035 is going to be electric. And I think a third of them, they're saying by 2025, are going to be uh, electric. And they're probably going to have to, you know, there's going to have to be some more innovation for car, electric cars to, so that you can, people that can have have fewer dollars to spend could get a nice car for under thirty thousand dollars but that that's going to happen so that's the direction we're moving but until we get there uh, how do we cut down fossil fuels because we're really starting to tip into the severe aspects of climate change and so one of the things that i think they did this in a couple cities in australia is they actually incentivized businesses to hire workers that live closer to their businesses. If you're, if you're a secretary or a janitor or uh, an engineer, instead of working, having to drive across town to work for a company, why not hire a person that has these qualifications that are live within a mile of, of the company or two miles, that could walk or bike to work? 
And so in Australia, some of the city governments incentivized the companies to do that, and it made an enormous difference. It cut down on the traffic, and it cut down on greenhouse gas emissions big time. And quality of life for those employees, too. They probably weren't commuting, which is going to build a healthier workforce, a healthier person, a happier place. It's a little matchmaking service for nearby employees and companies. Yeah. I have a question. So, Dennis... It's occurred to me over the last few years, every time the conversation about everything moving into electric, and I, 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 there's going to be some pushback, I believe, for gas, not having gas in your home for cooking and stuff until people actually get on board. But my, my question is, so now there are no more gas cars, there's no more gas going into your home, but everybody has an electric car, and they're plugging in their electric car, and now all these homes in America are plugged into the grid. What's the impact? I haven't heard much conversation about what the impact on that grid is now. Plus, a lot of our electric grids are outdated and have to be rebuilt. So what, what's going on in that arena? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Joe, that the, the grid is antiquated. And it's being slowly upgraded. Uh, some of these funds that are coming out of Washington are going to incentivize communities and states to do that, that kind of upgrading. The other thing we're going to start seeing are more microgrids and interrelationships uh, between different kinds of solar production in communities so that there will be fewer brownouts. There will be a lot more instantaneous responses from communities so that if, if one area gets overtaxed, it will be able to draw from nearby communities or even other states to meet that need. But as we talked earlier, I think solar will provide a big part of that because the solar component or, or even wind power are going to be generating more and more so electricity. The, the, and a lot of uh, it will be impact on decentralized. The, yeah. the decentralization is going to be a big part of meeting this need for electricity. Yeah, yeah. So it'll, it'll, it'll dampen the impact on the grid by having alternative sources. That's interesting because the other day I was told Ted Adams, who runs the Fire Safe Council mm-hmm. up on the past, was telling me about Art Ludwig, who is pushing for, he's already got the county of Ventura on board. He's working on Santa Barbara to get off-the-grid houses, which are in the code system, allowed. And an off-the-grid house would basically be, I may not have this right, but basically would have all the structural components for foundations and building and safety. But when it comes to the utility system, you aren't mandated to hook up to the grid. That means if new technology has come out to where you can have your own, you're your own energy supplier and you have compostable toilets, compostable toilets and other, you take all those systems and you find alternative methods now somebody can be off the grid, and it takes a big load. It changes the whole building approach to something and flexibility for some people that don't want to be shackled to the grid. So it's a, just an interesting way. I was just up in Alaska, and there were a lot of people that their places had to be off the grid. But we don't look at them necessarily yeah. because we're here. The grid's just, I plug it in. Why well, I don't think about it. Well, the, the other thing that seems important to me, which certainly has a climate impact, is increasing our density in our communities. You know, that's for some people a dirty word, but I'm a big fan of increased density with good design. You know, if if you've spent time in 
really dense communities in, in Europe, which are, yeah. they were dense because they were developed before the automobile. They're absolutely delightful cities to live in, and they're uh, finding ways that people can, they, they, in, in, in many places in France, in fact in Paris, they're talking about kind of modifying this old, old city so that you have basically a whole series of networks that they call 15-minute cities, 15-minute networks. Hmm. And so that wherever you live or work, you're within 15 minutes of every service that you need. And, and that's not by traveling by car, that's by walking uh, in most cases, and it might, if you're right on the edge of it, you might need a bike to, to meet that. But then you have all kinds of things uh, that are dispersed throughout the city, and it, it's a delightful, because then you get to know your community. You get to know the people in it, you get to know the vendors, you get to know the, uh, the suppliers of your, your, of your needs, and it's done with good design, because the original cities were pretty well designed in Europe. So I could see that that would really cut down on having to jump in the car to go to the market to get a bottle of milk. Well, you know. it sounds like they're going full circle the way most of those city-states started was, I need to build a fort to keep all the bad guys out from coming in and raiding us, so everything is within these walls. Everything anybody would need. And there was that whole little village sense, and a lot of the little areas in uh, Paris are that way. They're little villages within a big city. So this just goes hand in hand. It's like they're going full circle back, but using all the modern, modern technology we have available to make those things work. That's, I think that's a pretty interesting concept. Joe, you, you mentioned the Painted Cave Fire, and that kind of takes us to the idea of the larger impact of climate change mm. and what other Things do we need to build resilience for wildfires, earthquakes, mudslides, um, and um, all those things that come from climate change? What can we do to prepare ourselves and our homes and our communities? Well, you know, the fires starting back even before the Painted Cave Fire have educated us, and the necessity of dealing those is a mother of invention, and there's something true about that. When we apply ourselves, we find solutions. So it means that you're maybe having a conversation that wasn't very commonplace before. Now you're having a conversation where you're saying, you're talking about resilience in terms of how do I live in my home, in my community, make a smaller impact, but be prepared for the things that we have no control over or limited control over, like wildfires, floods, mudslides. What about those things? So you start thinking about your living space in your home and your community from a little bit different angle and that becomes part of the matrix of, of building and community building and just even the amenities you have in your home. You know, more insulation, these things we've been talking about for years, that's gonna become still a bigger and bigger uh, conversation as, as we start physically experiencing climate change. There's a real integration between resilience and the things we can do in our homes and green building practices. Green building practices in, in the most basic form are just good building practices, uh, but it's paying attention to things. So we built this place that I live in near here about 12 years ago, and we have an energy recovery ventilator system in, in each level in the building. It's, it's a little, it's a four unit condo association. We, during the Thomas fire, we were almost evacuated, even downtown. And, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I should say, you know, we have a year-round fire season now, and fires, if the winds are, are big, wildfires, 
can drive right down to the ocean. That almost happened with the Painted Cave fire. It, um, it did jump the freeway. Jumped the freeway bit. over at Modoc. So, you know, the, during the Thomas fire, we, there was a lot of smoke. And people even out in Goleta, were, we had about four people that came and uh, were refugees in our place right downtown. We were much closer to the fire because of smoke in their homes. And our place was so tight, and because we had the scrubbing of the air inside our homes, we had uh, no awareness of smoke inside. We kept everything was closed up, all the windows and everything, and were tight. So that was just one little example that often wildfires produce more impact from the smoke on more people than just the the, the flames. So tell me more about this energy recovery ventilator. So rather than bringing fresh air, fresh air in from the outside and dumping it inside and then you're losing the heat that you in winter or the coolness from your air conditioning in the summer, what it does is it pushes it through a, a heavily filtered little box with some fans in it. So it, it brings the outside air in, filters it, but it also transfers most of the heat or coolness from the outgoing air through the same piece of equipment, it transfers that to the incoming air. So if it's wintertime and it's cold out, over 85% of your heat is transferred to this cold incoming air that's fresh. And similarly, in, in the hot season, when you're having coolness in your house, you're not losing that. But it also means that you're bringing in fresh air that's, that's filtered before it comes in the inside. So you got three really pluses. You're saving energy, you're getting fresh air, and you're keeping your temperature. Why don't we so. all have those? Well, we're starting, we're starting to install them more and more. It's starting to be a part of the California code. The other thing that we did downtown that might be of interest is in our building, we focused on the old passive solar design elements. That basically means you're designing your, your building to bring in the warmth in winter and use that to, to heat your, your place, and you're providing shading on your windows in summer so you're not overheating. And we have never had to have the gas furnace on in our place the 12 years we've lived there. And that's because we have that solar design with some thermal mass in the building. We use double layer of gypboard, 5H gypboard, on all of our surfaces, and that's a great thermal mass. We used to think it was concrete was had to be the thermal mass or water because they absorb and hold a lot of heat or, or coolness. But um, when you get multiple stories, it's hard to have the weight of those materials uh, that are your thermal mass. So gypboard was a perfect solution. Dual glazed windows that, too? That we kind of pioneered on that. Yeah. 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 Well, we had really high-performance windows, which made a difference too. So windows our, and doors and insulation, yeah. we finally during COVID replaced our doors that were probably 50 years old, all of our French doors, and put in new ones. And I just can't believe what a difference that alone has made. So again, if you're doing a new building, it's possible to do these things. And it really makes sense here in California, where our climate is relatively benign, although it's, it's getting pushed by climate change. But um, you know, it, it's a little tougher to do some of these things with, with remodels, but you can, you can still do quite a bit with it. It's not that hard, though, if you, when, when we started the Built Green Checklist in 2004 with the Contractors Association, 
it was like the lead certified system, but you didn't have to hire expensive consultants. It was totally voluntary, cost you maybe a hundred bucks or so. And I dug up the old um, um, checklist. So there was a checklist that the city blessed and said, if you do this checklist, we'll expedite your permit. So the checklist has things that addresses all the different components of the building system. What happens on the ground? Where does the waste material go? How do you reduce the amount of material? Where does the water on the site go? And um, how you make choices about your appliances. So whether you go all electric or whether you have gas, it makes you ask those questions and most of them are basic common sense. So you just went down, it was totally voluntary and people would go, I can do, it's one to five points on this and three points was the average. People were shooting for five all the time because it was voluntary and they go, well, I can recycle this way and do, the, and do something different. I can put a heat pump in. So what's interesting is that that green building system lasted a number of years, the, the green building checklist. But as Dennis mentioned earlier, that stuff as the new codes in California get upgraded, it's become part of the code, which is what we were hoping. So it's now mandatory. It's just part of, of good building and good sense. So it made an impact. And now here we are having, um, what's the next level conversation for green that we can have? Well, I think, I think we're on the path now to having zero net energy buildings and homes. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're getting close on that. The Title 24 is pushing us a, a long ways in that direction. Um, and the other thing that uh, I see, and, and then having renewable energy used in our home, those two really kind of close that loop. But the other thing that's a newer part of the conversation that's just a couple years old that I think we really need to start paying a lot of attention to is the carbon impact of the building materials we use in our industry, Joe. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't paid much attention to that because we thought, well, the operational costs from an energy point of view were the real hit that buildings take it. You know, the, the operational costs play out over 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 years if we design and build a good building. And uh, it's a little bit each year. But when we build a project, every material that we put in it has a carbon impact. And that carbon impact is often 25, 30% of what the overall operational cost is over 30, 40, 50 years. And so we need to start paying attention and getting using materials in our buildings that are either carbon neutral or carbon negative. What's an example of those things for those that don't know what carbon impact are? A big impact carbon material is concrete. It Overall, it produces probably 6 to 7% of all of the global emissions around the planet. And so it, it's big. Now, we're, you know, there's some work going on to try to improve the mixes of concrete, adding uh, some uh, fly ash, for example, reduces that. And, and we're required to use mixes, I think, that are now 25% uh, fly ash mixes. But you can get up to 50 60% with fly ash mixes. But there are other things, too. There's uh, types of concrete that will actually absorb carbon from the atmosphere to cure. It requires that carbon. So those uh, things will start reducing that, but it's still a big hit material yeah. from a carbon point of view. So material that's totally negative would be something like rock wool, uh, which is an insulation, or um, most of the plant-based materials are uh, carbon sequestering. 
And when you put those in a home, it locks that carbon into place and is not using any carbon to uh, to go into the building project per se. So, you know, seeing more wood and stretching our forests, of course, that's important too. But but uh, we we recently got from a fellow that was pioneered in this work, uh, who who's out of Canada, uh, Chris Maywood is his name, and he's he and some of his team have prepared a a checklist, almost like your Green building checklist. Green, green building checklist. Yeah, but, it's a carbon checklist. But, but it's a carbon thing, and it, and Interesting. it looks at all the options that are typically used in a home for every category of material. And you can see which ones are high carbon and which ones are low carbon. And so when you add all these up, you can actually get buildings that are carbon negative, that are actually contributing to solving the problem. So I think that a lot of, of the general public get uh, confused when understanding what carbon is and what the impact of carbon is. And so for a lot of lay people, it's, it's kind of like, you lost me at uh, uh, fly ash, you know? <laughs> and it's just, it, it's, it's like, it's a trade term we use, but for the lay person, they get confused. And here we're trying, we're running out of time from a global perspective and that means a lot of education and knowledge has to happen fast for people to understand what their impact on the planet and what, what impact for them to survive. What impacts are, are, are making it difficult for all of us to survive. So Dennis, maybe you could share with us some of the work you're doing at UCSB. What are you seeing come out of this next generation that's coming with new ideas and ways to help us think about this in a faster, smarter, revolutionary way? Well, overall, uh, the University of California is one of the leaders on, I guess you'd say, greening campuses, uh, cutting down on their impact on the climate uh, situation. And UCSB is the leader of the 10 campuses. There are actually committees uh, on campus that are trying to do this with any new construction project, uh, remodeling, refitting older buildings. They have uh, what's what I call a district energy system on campus. And basically what that means is they're sharing energy between buildings so that, you know, so much of what we have produced in the past from fossil fuels has been used in an appliance, but there's a lot of heat connected with both its use and its production. And so that heat goes up in the air and dissipates. And we're really getting the benefit at most of, is about a third of what the production of, from the burning or the use of the fossil fuels is producing. So what one of the things UCSB is doing is capturing that waste heat and sending it often in the form of, of water or fluids between all the buildings around the campus and tapping into that for heating and for running some of their uh, other equipment. And so they're getting about 60% of that benefit. So that's just one of the things that they've, they've, cool. they're doing. The students have set up a fund from their associated student fees to create green projects on campus. You know, the, the, the biking and the, the infrastructure there for getting around and the, boosting the parking fees all the time, all of those things help drive a, a new type of behavior. And then, of course, there's many, many more courses being offered all the time that include sustainability, the Bren schools, mission is part is sustainability so and 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 one of the things i've seen in our community that relate to 
these courses and these uh, students that are coming out of there is they're working in our businesses and our, especially our nonprofits. The Community Environmental Council has a steady flow of Bren graduates there. Our company, we've hired a few uh, graduates from the Bren School that are just dynamite. And they come already with that ethic and, and the scientific awareness and uh, approach to solving these problems in, in our industry now. They're, they're really a think tank of any idea is, is not off the table if it, if, if it, pl if it plays out to have a, a green step forward instead of a brown step. And you think about what corporations like the bank industry is doing to, when we look at the buildings we, and the systems we use, they're starting to have these conversations about what's our, what's our carbon impact? What's our, geez, uh, our electric bill could be dropped by 50% if we did X, Y, or Z. So think about the Bren School and all of these students that are involved in creative projects and you bring them on in different corporations to just say, hey, I'd like you to just go through my building over the next three months and give me an energy impact rating. So you don't have to do it yourself. I don't have to, you're not an expert in it, but you have somebody that has all the dots to connect and they come in and they look at your, let's say you have a 20,000 square foot building and it has its half office and half production of, of some material or something. They can come in and do an energy analysis. They can come in and, and, and say, make a project out of it. So now you have a partnership with this huge enterprise like the Bren School and the University of California and the corporate world where they go, we want to be part of the difference. And if there's a way to connect that dot, they'll bend over backwards to do it if, if it works. And so that's what's exciting about us having a, a, a pathway forward to deal with these issues. And having an institution like that supports the, it. the University of California at Santa Barbara, Absolutely. right here in our community. They're doing a lot of work on wildfires, for example. You know, uh, and this, Bren's involved with it, but so are other departments on campus. And how to... Uh, make the interface between the wildlands and the urban areas uh, more resistant, resilient to fire. And it's, it's pretty exciting stuff they're doing just in that one little arena. Not little because it's a, it's Huge. a potent arena for, for damage and loss of life, but, but uh, one small sector of what we could be looking at. So that, that's, that's very exciting. It's hope. There's interest. Like the the next generation is excited to find solutions for us um, and help us think in different ways. Yeah, thinking in different ways, you were talking about knowing where your materials come from and transportation, and I realized one of the things we've talked about at the bank is we have some construction projects coming up and supply chain issues have made us pay attention to where our products are coming from, but also the impact on the climate. And so, yeah, it might cost a little more, but we're gonna order our carpet from a manufacturer in California. Or any of the furniture from somewhere in California. Maybe maybe we'll pay a little more than if it came from somewhere farther away, but that cost is pretty minimal. Um, it gets it here faster, and we're being uh, aware of the cost and the climate impact on transportation. So I think that's something we can all think about in little ways. It's a win-win for everybody, and, and the fact that our institutions are starting to think that way is a, is a big plus. That's what Community Choice Energy is doing for us. I, I don't know if you know what that is. I but don't. But both Santa Barbara, the city of, and the county have brought on a board this last year uh, these programs where we're in charge of where our energy comes from. 
and uh, it, it's locally controlled, and the purpose is to drive the energy we use in our offices and in our homes to 100% renewable energy. The city is on that path, and so is the county. The minimum you can get is 50% now in the county, and I think, I think everybody that buys into this program is 100% uh, in the city now. And we still have the utility that runs the grid and does the billing for this, but the city, and, and, and initially some of this energy is sourced from outside the city. I mean, it's maybe even from Oregon. So how does it work that you, uh, when you opt in? That it, what, You're automatically what, what opt in. So what happens at the city level? The city is... That's why I think the city is 100%. The county, you have a choice of 50 or 100%. At this point, and you pay a little bit more for, for the hundred percent, but but the fifty percent is the same price that we were paying before for something like under thirty percent from Edison. So I, I mean that's a that's a major step in the tri counties. One point four million people are in the, are on this program. So Which, a portion of their energy comes from renewable energy because the city's Edison still runs the grid and does the billing, but the city or the county, they're two separate programs. The, the, the county program is linked with Ventura, LA, and the North County is linked with, with San Luis Obispo and Monterey. So there's, we actually have three, three programs, community choice programs in the county. But um, the goal of all of them is to get to 100% and to keep that employment local, like you were talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, you know, now Santa Barbara County, about, well, as soon as the Lompoc Wind Farm comes online, will about be about 70% locally renewably generated electricity. So that offsets the generation by the electric company, by, by Edison. It, 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 it offsets fossil fuel right. generated electricity and, and electricity generated outside the county. So it keeps, it keeps the economy boost here, local. So it's, it's, it's a big program. We, we've been working on this uh, through the, with the Community Environmental Council for 15 years. 2006, we started on it. Dennis and Joe, thank you so much for helping to create our awareness, um, educate us more on what's going on, help to move the conversation forward. It's, it takes a lot of conversation. As you just said, you've been working on some of these initiatives for a long time, but they're moving in the right direction. And so the more of these conversations we can have, the more we can educate, the more we can create awareness. I think that we're all going to be happy where we go. So thank you so much for your time today. And Joe, thanks for joining me twice. I yep. appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about American Riviera Bank, you can visit us at AmericanRiviera.Bank. Mm -hmm.